You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Forefront. I have a verse for you this morning. Here it is. Let's talk about it. It goes like this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, and that is Christ, and that is Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love makes us mature. All right, let's talk about this for a little bit. It's a good one, right? Truth in love. How many people? Raise your hand out there. If you've heard this verse before, obviously I can't see if you've raised your hand, but regardless, right? This is a, uh, this is a loaded, loaded verse. How many people have gone out with a friend for coffee and you sit down and you make small talk and then you say something to the effect of like, hey, um, I need to speak the truth to you and I'm doing it in love. And then you proceed to tell them why you think they're just a really terrible human being or, you know, whatever the case may be. Has that ever, have, have, have any of us, are we guilty of that? Uh, what about the flip side? The flip side's always fun, right? Where somebody sits you down and then they proceed to tell you why you are going to go to hell or they proceed to tell you why God is angry with you or they proceed to tell you why they can't be your friend anymore and invariably speaking the truth in love it it always leads to the end of a relationship or it leads to a relationship never being the same again or ultimately it leads to a fundamental disagreement that is tough to repair speaking the truth in love is a loaded loaded verse and you know what it wasn't always that way in fact this was really, really kind of a, an encouraging verse, kind of an important verse, right? And I want to reclaim that today. And why are we reclaiming this verse today, speaking the truth in love? We're doing it because we're in our Fruits of the Spirit series. And why are we in our Fruits of the Spirit series? We're asking this question. And the question is, yes, as a church, we are you know, great at activism. We're great at justice work. Uh, we care about uh, you know policy making. We have an initiative right now called Bless the Ballot. Right, all those things are really really good, but we're a church. You see, any other organization can do those things. What makes us different as a church? How do we stand apart as a church? How is our action rooted in the gospel? And so we've been talking about the fruits of the spirit, and I've been saying that the fruits are are uh, a metric, if you will, a way by which we can say, hey. Are we living out the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are we are our actions rooted in love, joy, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, and all the other ones, right? Are, are our actions rooted in those fruits of the Spirit? Uh, and, and today, we're actually going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit of love. Love is the biggest by which all the other ones work. Love is the most important fruit of the Spirit. Love is like uh, my favorite fruit, the strawberry. Don't at me. It's the greatest fruit that ever exists. That's love, okay? And so we're going to talk about that today. And here's the issue with love. There are so many scriptures to choose from when it comes to love that I was like, what, what should we talk about when we're going to talk about a fruit of the Spirit being love? What are we going to talk about? And when you think about what's going on today in our world, truth has never been more distorted and truth has never been more subjected as it is today. And so I thought, you know, hey, why don't we go ahead and why don't we talk about uh, truth in love, right? 
And so let's start with truth, okay? We're going to have to back up and actually start with truth if we're going to get to the love part. Y'all down for this with me? It's going to be, a, we're, we're going to get into it a little bit, all right? So I want you all to, you know, I want you all to get into it with me, all right? Let's talk about truth and talk about the truth as we see it as Christians, right? Because we do believe that there is a truth and we do believe that truth is in Jesus Christ. And in fact, I often say that, that that truth of Christ is found in Scripture. Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And I believe truth comes from Scripture. And so Scripture, um, you know, Scripture informs everything that we do at Forefront. Scripture is, the truth of Scripture informs the way we live, the values we have, the differentials we create. It informs our, our audacious 500-year vision. It informs the way that we live out series and the way we live out service and all the rest. And what's interesting is that's truth for us, right? We look at scripture and we're like, well, this is truth. And then someone could take a look at the exact same scripture, the exact same scripture, and they could say, well, this is the truth that I find in it. And that truth can be utterly different from the truth that we actually believe, right? You know, we, we are, we say it all the time, we are an inclusive church. We are in an affirming church, and we do that by taking a look at Scripture. And somebody can come along and take a look at the same Scripture and say, hey, I want to speak the truth to love in you. I don't like your quote-unquote you know, gay lifestyle or whatever it may be, right? Or we could say, hey, we see the truth in Scripture, and because we see the truth in Scripture, we can tell you that God loves you more than anything else in the world. And someone else might see the same Scripture and sit you down and say, I have to speak the truth and love to you, but God is very angry with you, right? Truth in Scripture is even pretty relative right now. Why? Well, because truth has context behind it. We talk about this all the time when reading scripture. We have to talk about the context behind it. I've used this example before, and I'll use this example again and again and again. But when I was 30 years old, I got punched in the face. All right, so what kind of truth do you surmise from that? Well, Jonathan, you and you were 30, maybe you were making some really bad choices. It's possible. It's possible. When you were 30, Jonathan, you were a bit of a ruffian. Remember that word, ruffian? And that's also possible, right? But if you, if you dig into context, what you would find out is that when I was 30 years old is when my daughter was born. And when my daughter was born, she was a few hours old and I was holding her in my arms and she reached up and popped me right in the chin and it was the greatest and most beautiful thing that ever happened. You see, I was punched in the face, but context is incredibly, incredibly important when we are searching and looking for Truth. Context matters. That's number one. And then number two, you know, people say this all the time. In fact, someone emailed me the other day. I had no idea who they were. Maybe it was one of you. Hello, if you're watching. And uh, you emailed and, and you said, hey, I want to speak truth and love to you. We don't like the fact that your church is part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then they actually wrote down like 13 verses, like 13 verses as to why we were doing the wrong thing, right? That was their truth. And they said in this email, they said, see, this is plain. They said it, it's, it's plain truth. And I agree. I mean, the word right there in scripture is plain, which is why when I was writing this message, I had 15 different translations to choose from when I decided to pick what scripture we were going to use, right? See, it's not as plain as we think it is. It gets closer if we start reading the Greek and the Hebrew. I mean, but there's not many of us listening right now who are reading Greek and Hebrew. I know that I'm not reading the Greek and Hebrew because that was the original language of scripture. But the truth of the matter is we are all going to bring our own interpretation to words on a page. We're just going to do it. I'll give you an example. I could say, I didn't punch your face. I could say, I didn't punch your face. Or I could say, 
I didn't punch your face, or I could say, I didn't punch your face, all the same words, all with different meanings based on the way I say it. You see that, right? So it's kind of hard to surmise the exact truth that scripture is getting at. We all come to it, interpreting it in a different way. And so that makes truth in our scriptures kind of difficult. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, which is a great podcast. Everybody listen to it, Bible for Normal People. And one of the hosts of this podcast, Jared Bias, he tells a story, uh, a story that is pretty, uh, it's a pretty famous story. It's probably been told a lot, but I'm going to tell it again. He talks about uh, there are three people and they can't see. And they come across an elephant. And so they come across the elephant. They start to feel, one person feels the leg of the elephant and feels the leg and say, hey, we've come across a tree, right? That's what we've come across. And the other person says, no, 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 we've come across a wall. And this person's feeling the middle of the elephant. And then a third person says, no, no, here's a rope. And maybe we need this rope to get over the wall. And they're, they're grabbing onto the trunk, right? And what's the point of this story? The point of this story is we're never going to get at exactly what truth is. If truth is Jesus Christ, if truth is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, then we're never going to quite get at that truth. Oh, don't you love New York City where you just have a reverse beeping in the background? Anyway, yeah. So we're never going to quite get at truth because we're never going to quite see it the way that God sees it. And you want to know what's beautiful about that? The writer of Ephesians, who we think is Paul, knows that. The writer of Ephesians knows that there's no objective truth. In fact, objective truth, the idea that truth was like absolutely, you could tell what it was and everybody would agree on it, it sort of didn't come around till around 1500, right? Before that, everybody said, yeah, truth is a little relative. It's hard to get at. It's, it's sort of like feeling an elephant when you can't see. And so what truth was in scripture and what truth is when Paul is writing it in Ephesians, when he's talking about speaking truth and love is this. When the word truth is used in scripture, it is very rarely an intellectual assent that works to attain full accuracy. Instead, the use of the word truth is most often rooted in faithfulness and trustworthiness. Wow, it's rooted in faithfulness and trustworthiness. So when Paul is saying, hey, I want you to speak the truth in love, Paul is basically saying, I want you to be faithful and trustworthy and loving to the person that you're speaking to kind of changes the way we read this, right? Because I got to be a little bit upfront with you. I don't know if I want to be faithful and trustworthy to the person I'm speaking to all of the time. Like we, we go into a conversation saying, I'm going into this knowing that this person trusts me. This person trusts me. And then I'm going into this being faithful to that person. See how it's mutual? This person has to trust me, and then I need to be faithful to that person in love before I can even start a conversation. Now, raise your hand out there and tell me how many of you, in this divisive time, in this time where things are so incredibly difficult, how many of you are going into every conversation and you're saying, I'm going into this conversation making sure that this person trusts me first, and then making sure that I am faithful to that person, and then I'm getting ready to have a conversation in love. How many of you? Raise your hand out there. And again, because I can't see your hands, I'm guessing that one of you is raising your hand and you are a unicorn. Because the rest of us, 
we're not approaching very many conversations, you know, making sure someone trusts us and then making sure we're faithful to that person. There's just not a whole lot of conversations. The truth of the matter is, when, when, when I come into a conversation, I, I'm, I'm basically saying, I wanna speak the truth in love, and what I'm basically saying is, hey, my ego needs to tell you my opinion of what truth is, and my ego needs you to accept it. That's basically what I'm saying. In fact, that's what a lot of us are saying. What Paul's saying is, no, 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 no. Truth is tough. All right, it's a little distorted, we're never gonna see it. It's like three people who can't see feeling an elephant. We don't quite know what it is, but what we do know and what we can do is we can approach every conversation, making sure the person on the other side trusts us and making sure we are faithful to that person. Oh boy, boy, oh boy. And so then Paul says, now when you have these conversations, I want you to do it with love. Now you didn't think I was gonna get to the actual fruit of the Spirit, did you? Love. Well, let's talk about what he means when he says, do this with love. And so I'm gonna to read to you a passage that you have never heard before. It's a passage that you've never you know, heard at a wedding. It's a passage you've never heard on TV. It's a passage you've never read on a greeting card. But I'm gonna do it for you anyway. You're gonna be surprised, ready? It goes like this. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, and it always trusts, and always hopes, and always perseveres. So when we have this conversation, we're gonna have this conversation in love. And here's the interesting thing about 1 Corinthians 13. Here it is. Isn't it interesting that when Paul talks about love in this passage, it kind of wraps up all of the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's like kind of all the fruits of the Spirit rolled into one. It's a, it's a fruit roll-up. Oh, God, forgive me for that one, right? <laughs> anyway, don't write any comments and listen to what I'm about to say. I'm going to translate this speaking truth in love passage to you if we were going to hear it today. If we were going to hear it today, it might go something like this. I want you to bring unity. You have your idea of truth and others have theirs. But if we're to bring unity, I want you to interact with those who don't share your truth. And I want you to be faithful to their humanity and relationship. I want them to trust you. Do they trust you? And I want you to do it in love, which means your interactions are patient and they're kind and they're filled with gratitude for one another's existence and they're empathetic to the experience of another. Do we hear that? With gratitude for another's existence and empathetic to the experience of another. And when I'm in conversation, I want each of you to be slow to anger and not in it for your own victory or gloating, but for the sake of a better and more unified humanity. Wow. How many of us when we're having a conversation about our, our opinion, our truth, are doing it to bring about unity with the other. How many of us are saying, my goal in this is to bring unity? I can tell you, and I'll raise my hand, I am not having conversations these days to bring about unity. No, I'm having conversations these days to win. 
That's what I'm doing. I think many of us are having conversations these days to win. And in fact, our leadership from the top down in this country, when we have conversations, are having conversations in which we can win. That's why on Twitter we get all these, you know, skulls like, I'm dead. Look, they own that person. And then somebody else is like, oh, I just own the libs or whatever the case may be. We are having conversations to win. Paul says you want to bring unity to the world? Speak truth and love, which means... Be faithful to the person you're speaking to. That person should trust you and do it in a way that encompasses all the fruits of the Spirit, beginning with that selfless action, that that person's life and that person's truth and that person, what they think, what they believe, and their truth is the most important truth. Ooh, can we do that? I was, uh, I was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was on a podcast with, uh, with this a woman, and she was a progressive, uh, progressive pastor, and uh, you know, she, uh, she's a woman who uh, in some ways identifies as queer and, and, and certainly cares deeply about LGBTQIA communities and issues and, and all the rest. And we were talking, and uh, we were doing like an Instagram Live or something, and we were talking about giving up power. That's what we were talking about. And so we were talking about uh, the book I wrote about my dad coming out. And in this book, I, I talk a lot about giving up my power, recognizing the power and privilege that I have. And she said to me, she said, Jonathan, you know what? Uh, it seems like you need to grieve your loss of power. And I said, what are you talking about, grieve my loss of power? That's ridiculous. You know, I've had power for way too long. Uh, you know, why would I grieve something that obviously needs to be given up? And she said, well... You know, you don't see that. You didn't know that. People have now started to tell you that you've had a lot of power. I don't know if you've consciously known it. And now that you're giving it up, maybe it's time to grieve the difference in the world for you. The world's going to look different for you. And I kind of dismissed it. I was like, whatever. You know, I just, whatever. You know, I, I just let it be. I was like, no, I have so much power. I need to give it up. You know, this and that. And then I was talking to a friend last week. And in talking to this friend, this friend said, you know what, there are so many people and we see them as being angry and we see them as wanting to own us and we see them as, you know, you know as, as this enemy and we see them as ridiculous and stupid and he's going on and on and saying all the rest. And he goes, what if we saw them as afraid? What if we saw their deepest fear? What if that's what we saw? What if that anger and that vitriol and that pain wasn't anger and vitriol and pain at all? What if it was being afraid? Would we treat them differently if we knew they were scared? And I was like, oh my gosh. I think that's what this woman who was talking to me was getting at. It doesn't matter that maybe I need to give up power. It doesn't matter that I, that I have power. What this woman is saying is, it's a scary thing to change. And whether or not I agree with you or not, Jonathan, as a white, straight, cis man who does need to give up power, I do want to recognize your humanity. And I do want to recognize that sometime it is a scary thing to have to change. And so this friend said, what if we started seeing people as being afraid? And then the same friend continued, and, and this friend said, and you know, I'm part of a group that's tired of living in fear, and I'm tired of not being seen, and I'm tired of not having the same chances, and I'm tired of not having the same power, and I am angry, and I am upset. And, and this person said, Jonathan, you know, can you see that in me? And can you see that I'm exhausted from all of this? And if so, can you see that my pain matters and my pain is important? And I was like, oh, man, 
yeah, I can see that side too, maybe for the first time. And what I started to recognize is this. A few months ago, I gave a talk, um, and in my talk, I, I mentioned a Brene Brown podcast. And in my Brene Brown podcast, um, I, I quoted this, this gentleman who was on the podcast who said that our pain is the worst pain. Our pain is the worst pain. And he said, don't minimize it, just accept it that our pain is the worst pain. And when I think about speaking truth in love, the thing that immediately came to my mind is whether or not I agree with the person on the other side of the aisle, whether or not I'm angry or not with the person on the other side of the aisle, what would happen? Would life look different? If I looked at that person and for a split second, I said to myself, their fears are the worst fears. And their pain is the worst pain. And even though I don't identify with it, and even though I think it's the stupidest thing in the world sometimes, that pain is still the worst pain. And that fear is still the worst fear. And if I were to start a conversation with that mentality, would I have love? Would I be showing love? Would I be speaking truth in love? Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, Jonathan, that's ridiculous because some of, of what these people are saying and doing, not only do I not identify with it at all, I absolutely know that it's distorted and it's misinformed and it's ridiculous and I hear you on that. And it brings me back to my children when they were young. And when my children were young, they would, they would, they would go to bed and they would call me, Daddy, I'm scared. And I would say, what are you scared of? And they would say, monsters. And so I said to my children, you are dumb, that is misinformed, that is ridiculous, you are stupid. Did I say those things to my kid? No, I mean, we know monsters don't exist. And I would say, okay, let me lay down with you. Oh, okay, I'll take five minutes and help you fall asleep, right? There's a sense of empathy we have for those we love. And even though that thing doesn't quite make sense, and even though it feels misinformed, and even though it feels ridiculous, and even though, what if for one second I looked across the aisle and I said, ooh, your pain, your fear is the worst. And I want to approach it with the same empathy, the same selfless love, bringing about the same unity that I might for my own children when they're afraid of something that's misinformed, something that doesn't quite make sense. What would we do? How would this world change if for that split second we looked across the aisle and we said, yours is the worst? And so what I think would happen is I think we would be selfless. And I think what would happen is I think that we would start to show love. And I think what would happen is there'd be a lot more unity than division. And I think what might happen is that we would do this exercise of like getting out of ourselves and, and, and we would become faithful. We would become trustworthy. We'd become Christ-like. Now, we've told this story a couple times, but it's worth telling again for sure. And Megan Perez, I want to thank you for sharing this story at Theology Thursday. You have to, you have to listen to this story, but I'm going to talk about it again today. Megan Perez and a few others were out protesting. And Megan was arrested. She was arrested. And Megan said something that I thought was so incredible. She said, you know what? So often when we're protesting, and so often we just see each other as subhuman. We just don't see each other as human beings. And she said, so we're getting arrested and, and this chant starts among the protesters and the chant is derogatory towards police officers. And Megan said something to the effect. She said, you know, I don't agree with everything the, the police do. I, I don't, you know. She said, but the second we start thinking of people as subhuman is the second that this all falls apart. 
So Megan says that, you know, she, she's getting arrested and she starts to talk to the arresting officer. And she says to the arresting officer, I don't, I don't see you the way that other people are chanting right now. I, I see you. And, and, and when I talk about your job and when I talk about law enforcement, you know, I don't want to take away your livelihood. What I want to do is I want to see your job and your livelihood improve. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And Megan said that this officer would just nod and kind of go, mm, okay, you know, whatever. And Megan continued, you know, I do this because I'm a Christian. I do this because I'm a Christ follower. And she started talking to the arresting officer about what it meant to be a Christ follower for Megan. And then finally, Megan said to the officer, can I pray with you? Is it okay if I pray with you? And this officer, this officer goes, yeah, yeah, it's okay. And, and Megan found out the officer was a Christian too. And Megan's telling me this story and she's telling it to Sarah and I on Theology Thursday. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you want to know what speaking the truth in love looks like? It looks like that. It's saying, hey, I am faithful to you. Yeah, we're on opposite sides of the aisle, but I am faithful to you. I don't see you as subhuman. I see your pain too. And your pain, your pain for a split second is as bad as my pain. I get it. You're being taunted. There are chants about you happening right now. And yeah, we're on the opposite sides of the aisle, but I want to be selfless towards you in love. And I want to be patient and I want to be kind towards you. And I want to be someone who can make sure that at the end of the day, you know that I'm in this for unity and not to own you and not to, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. That is truth and love. And Megan gives us this incredible example of why we are a church. We can be any other org. But when we do our work, our activist work, our justice work, when we do our communal work, when we do our bless the ballot work, when we do our policy work, we are doing it. And we're looking across the other side of the aisle, always speaking truth and love, saying that we are faithful to you. Our goal is unity. And our goal is to love unselfishly with patience and kindness and joy and all the fruits of the Spirit. And let's be honest, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what anything else looks like. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says this, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We're a church because God's kingdom comes to earth through us. And it looks like love, the selfless act with the goal of unity, and the profound task of seeing the pain of another as our own, even if that pain is absurd. And the good news is that in some divine way that maybe we can't see just yet, God is at work, even in our division, even in our pain, speaking truth and love to us to restore our fear and our divisiveness and our vitriol and restoring and renewing so that we have a new story to retell. And to that, I say amen and amen. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for truth in love. Thank you for the truth that, that love is what we have, that love is at the base of all things, that love is at the center of all things. And Lord, I pray that in all of our interactions, we might see and love others to create unity in places where there is none. 
Give us the strength, the courage to do that, and thank you for the grace when we fail. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.